Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. I'll start off by saying I'm bored, I'm broke, and I'm back. <laughs> The year was 2012. <laughs> in the year 2012. Gumby, it's 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 off season time. We're still in the thick of it. We're sort of at that point where I feel like we are equidistant from the big things happening. So like the Super Bowl is like squarely in the rearview mirror at this point. And I guess the draft is somewhat soon. A um, couple weeks. We're in that spot where people are salivating over pro day footage, just like guys just like running on, and at their college stadiums. And like people, people have takes. They like stu- they eat the film. I we we are unabashed about this. We're not big draft guys. Okay. No, not, not even slightly. No, and we're not going to pretend to be. We're not going to try to be. If you guys want to hear a ton of draft talk before the draft yeah i mean we'll give some requisite amount but we're not like we, we're not going to tell you like when kyle pitts is getting picked because I, i'm not mel kuyper you're not mel kuyper that's not our life no. the funny thing about mel kuyper is there are these fantastic youtube reels of just like him totally <laughs> duffing things just being like listen let me tell you brady quinn I, I, I'm telling you, Brady Quinn is going to be the, the next great quarterback in the NFL. It's like fast forward. Like well, two David Thomas is just too small. He's not going to make it. He's not going to make it in the NFL. Yeah, just like the guys here is like Sam Darnold. I, I, I'm, I'm very excited for the New York Jets because they, they finally, fa- after years in the desert, like it'll, it, people will put in the same sentence, Joe Namath and Sam Darnold. Like, <laughs> like Mel, Mel, pump the brakes here, buddy. And I guess it makes good television, but... It's not what we're planning on doing for this podcast. We will do our requisite research after the draft and get to know and love the guys that Washington chooses to sign, and we will do some 100%. post-draft stuff. But all things considered, right now, uh, I don't know. There's there's not a ton of like pressing things going on, but that has never once stopped us from running our mouths here on the Cult of Cult. I can't wait to hear more about Jake Funk and his broad jump. Jake, say that like five times fast. Jake, Jake Funk, Fu- broad jump. Jake Funk, broad <laughs> jump. I, ah, I didn't even get to two. Oh, it's dirty. You're dirty. Oh, yeah. So I, we heard about his, his free, like he got all these inches. Like the, the guy's an athlete. We know that. But he's not a first-round draft pick for two whole days. That's all I heard about. And I wish him well. He has a wonderful family. However, still, come on, guys. Come on. Let's stop talking about all draft stuff. And yeah. let's talk about 
fun stuff. Yeah, fun stuff. We we are very clearly well established guy remembers. We I think we're still struggling. we're still finding our identity, but I think we are more of a reactive podcast than we are a um a prescriptive or proactive podcast. Like we're not necessarily going to tell you like what's going to happen, but we're happy to tell you what we thought about what happened and insofar Absolutely. as we have predictions we will share them but i think f- there are a lot of people who love trying to like like i said like eat the pro day tape i don't think it's as fun as talking personally i don't think i think part of what's fun about being a sports fan is like remembering things that happened right Absolutely. like the shared community of like oh you were there i was there Oh, you remember being there? Like I going through that. old football cards and going, "Oh, that guy, that guy's cards worth five cents." But man, that meant something to me. That's yeah. something that brought that brings back all those great memories that just makes you so excited, and and you almost get that feeling back in your body again of just a win or or that the loss that happened. Like yeah, a a, a good baseball version is uh, Glenn Davis from the Orioles. Mm-hmm. I hate R- seeing his card. With the Orioles' name on it, because he decimated that franchise with that contract for years. Then you have the other end, and you look at somebody, let's say, like Alfred Morris. Yes, Alfred he, Morris. He was a dude. He was the yes. dude, uh, not for a long period of time, but there was a season in which he was absolutely the best running back in Washington football team history. Yeah. That's true, and this is our long and roundabout way of saying that we wanted to, in this time when there's not a whole heck of a lot going on, we wanted to go back and do some remembering of games and do a little bit of, we don't have a name for this yet, it's it's untitled flashback segment, uh, and sort of talk about things, uh, red, eventful moments, games, goings-on of Washington football team franchise, Washington Redskins history past. And we figured the best place to start is, um, I would argue, the high point of Washington football team fandom, I would say, of my life. The most excited I have been about, like, this day was the yeah. peak of where I've been. And now, obviously, Washington getting back to the playoffs this year, that was great, but, like, I'm not going to compare the 2012 season to this season. They're just, like, incomparable. So do you want to do a little remembering of the Week 17 Washington football team Dallas Cowboys Sunday Night Football game in which Washington, spoiler alert, won and went to the playoffs. I feel like that would be a fun thing for us to do. You know, I think we should give it a shot. I think the the cult of cult should go back back in time. Yes, let's do it. So what what do we need to remember about this? Because we I mean we both had the opportunity we watched today some some update footage. We watch footage to reacclimate. This is not off the top of the dome, though some of it is. Uh what do you remember going into that game like what do you what stands out to you sort of in the run-up to what do you remember about that first of all it was a a Mike Shanahan coach team it was yeah it was uh, Robert Griffin the third first season yeah rookie year 
rookie of the year. year. Rookie he of the went, year. He won, so, he won rookie of the year. Yeah. Now, even though at, at this point, you know, 2021, we talk about Robert Griffin's thirds of name like a like a joker or a disappointment. In yeah. 2012, he was absolutely the man. Oh yeah, I think back about that run he had against the Minnesota Vikings, where he went like 76 yards down the sideline, just turned the afterburners on, and I was like, oh my god, I can't believe it. How lucky are we to be seeing this right now? We, this is we, incredible. We 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 paid a, a ransom for him, and it was worth it for 2012. In 2012, it was absolutely worth it. We had an electrifying team. We had an electrifying yeah. defense. We felt good about it going into the season. However, we did not we we won first week against New Orleans, and mm-hmm. then kind of fell apart for a little while. Right? Yeah, they started that year three and six, and I was just like, Ugh, "Man, this this kind of stinks." But RG three is exciting, and he's good, and he's young, and maybe he'll get better. But it was definitely a bummer at that point when they were nine weeks in, and then hit their bye, and they were three games under and we didn't get blown out at all it was just close games we just weren't winning which is sometimes more painful but you saw a team becoming better alfred morris was great on the ground you had out of nowhere out of nowhere like who's this guy from fau nobody knows sixth round draft pick am i sixth round draft pick also a rookie that year too right absolutely rookie you picked up garçon out of nowhere we still had santana moss Yep. Cooley was in and out of that 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 uh That's right. that roster. Yep. But going into the bye weekend, 3 and 6. Uh, it didn't look good. No. Then Not they, good at all. They just like figured it out and I remember they ran the table after the bye week. They won 5 straight going into week 17. Um that stretch included a win against Dallas, two wins against Philly, one win against the Giants, and an Overtime home win over the eventual Super Bowl champions of the Baltimore Ravens. They won at FedEx Field over the Ravens that went on to go win the ship. Um, and so it was, what, December 30th. It was the last yep. week of the season. And then they flexed it to Sunday Night Football. Sounds familiar like this year. Yeah, people were, <laughs> were very excited to draw those parallels between the two. And, I mean... It, it was it was definitely the right game to flex for sure. I mean, it was totally the opposite it outcome. Was win, it was a winner take all, just like this year. Yeah. So going into that game, Washington was nine and six. Yep. The Giants, who had played earlier that day, were nine and seven, and the Cowboys were eight and seven. So if Washington loses that game, it's a three-way nine and seven tie, and Washington, I believe, did not get in. I think it was going to be Dallas that got in. I think it was. I think yeah. you're right. There was like a. We, I remember there being just like a ton of tiebreakers. Yeah. But they go into the game knowing if they win this football game, they're going to the playoffs. And it was huge. You know, Cowboys, who at the time, they were, they were kind of a big deal. I mean, when you think about key players, for. The Cowboys, they had Romo at quarterback, and kind of a two-headed backfield in Demarco Murray and Felix Jones where Murray was kind of the thunder and Felix Jones was the lightning and they kind of they kind of split carries uh in the backfield but it worked for them that was like the best year of the two back system that they had that like truly did it got them close and they had two 1000 yard receivers in Des Bryant and Jason Witten 
And they also had Miles Austin, who was that was like when he was good, and Kevin Ogletree. So their offense was pretty good. It was stacked. It was it was a very potent offense. And and going into this game, you felt nerves. It's the Cowboys yeah. versus the Washington Redskins. Winner take all. And one month before that, I was fortunate enough to kind of see these two teams go against each other mm. in Dallas. Was this in Jerry World? This was in Jerry World. So this was the 2012 Thanksgiving Day game. At that point, we were four and, four and six, ready to play. Oh, here we go. Yeah. But the Cowboys were running a high at that point. They they were like, well, there's no one can defeat us. So as we're walking in as fans, sporting all of our Redskins gear, we are just getting heckled left and right, talking about how bad RG3 is, how bad our team is, how we have this nothing running back, not doing anything. They got Jones and Murray, and they got this. And we went in right in the, 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 the devil's den. We were able to we're... get to the inside the stadium to the, the bar where yeah. Washington ran through. Amazing. So I got to see, you know, Kirk Cousins before it was Kirk Cousins, really. Right. I got to see RG3 run through, uh, you know, D Hall's running by, high-fiving people. I got pictures. It was awesome. In that process, though, you saw something. You saw kind of the team start to come together. They got an early lead from Dallas in Thanksgiving Day, which is prime time. Washington has a horrible horrible ability to fall apart during prime time. Yeah. And this was the first time since 99, there was even an opportunity get into prime time. They get this awesome pass to Robinson in the corner. Redskins take it over. Dallas just can't catch up. It showed the explosiveness of this team that had not really been seen prior in the season. Like just how Mm -hmm. good they could, they got better. They got better. And again, at that point, you have those players from Dallas who many of them are pro bowlers. Sure. And we're sitting this in Jerry like World. Peak, peak Dez, peak Romo. Peak De- absolutely. And you got, again, Murray and Jones. And it, it was a great day. I could not have been happier leaving that stadium with, you know, extra hot dogs in my pocket, <laughs> a little bit inebriated, having a great time. They had the Batmobile outside. My brothers and I are high five. And I mean, we got the car as fast as we could. <laughs> so I, I, a question for you when you went and people were like giving you shit was it good natured or was it malicious and threatening like were, were did you feel like you were gonna have to like throw hands at any point or did you feel like oh like they're giving me shit i'm giving them shit dallas isn't philly Okay. Let me start by that. Yeah, okay. Like because there's clearly a when you're at Philly games and people are are giving you shit, like you you you're probably going to throw hands. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're, you there's a chance. Prepared. There's a chance. Make sure make sure you're inebriated because your body's about to take a beating. Uh no. It Jerry World has 110,000 people in it. Yeah. Think of it more like an amusement park than you do a, a football stadium. Now, huh. also the thing is is that you the Dallas Cowboys have such an array of fans that a lot of people visit that stadium just so they have the opportunity to see that stadium. So for them, it, it becomes more like a tourist attraction than it does actually a football game. So a lot of people there were on They were just there to be happy to be in the stadium. They're not mm. diehard fans like Philly ones. Or if you go down to the, the dog pound in Cleveland, they're not that type. You're not talking about the black hole 
in what is now L.A. It's not those fans. A lot of them are tourists, 110,000 people. They care about their team. It's a beautiful stadium, but they're, they're there with their families. They're not fighting anybody. We had one issue the entire time, and the reason for that was my brother's sitting there. The crowd's loud, and this guy starts talking. My brother kind of puts his ear out. And he, goes, he goes, I can't hear you. The guy starts yelling more about it. You know, he's going to kick his ass. My brother's like, I can't hear you. The thing was, my brother really couldn't hear him. My brother just wasn't really paying attention. So the guy thought he was being an asshole. So I had to take care of that situation, and it was fine. The rest of the game, we we were able to go to different bars. We were VIP. We went to the, the cool bar with the players running through. We had great seats. We even got on TV. So you're gonna yeah. have to tell me, uh, perhaps off air, how it was that you swung this uh, this setup because uh, it sounds like you know a guy. I we did know a guy, and it worked out really, really well because there's 110,000 people yeah. in, in the normal. We got really good seats. Not phenomenal, but really good. And then we went to bar A, which is VIP. Then there's the second VIP bar. And you're like, wow. So we went from like 10,000 to like 10,000 to 5,000. Then we went to like the other bar, which was maybe, you know, 2,000. And then you went to the fizzing teams bar they run through. I'm talking about 100 people at the most. Did you did you watch any football at any point during this game? Absolutely. Because oh, uh, each level you went to, Beer and food was free, so we got really full and inebriated. (laughs) And at some point, we're like, let's go to our actual seats. And that's where we saw the Robinson touchdown. And Mm. in the background is us. It's you. I got a picture of that. So, yeah, we had a great time. But at the same time, we got to see the 2012 Washington Redskins come together as a true team that year. RG3 was full throttle. You saw Garcon, you, some Alfred Morris hit it up. It was phenomenal to watch. Yeah. Leading into the second half of the season, leaving us with a revenge game for Dallas. Yeah. And so I one of the reasons that I figured it would be fun to talk about this game in particular, and for you listeners out there, if there are games that you would like us to remember, or if you have thoughts on a particular game that, you remember that you want to share with us. We will uh, we'll take your, your tweets or the comments on the article. And perhaps we'll do some remembering of our own. Um, we watched this game together. We did. At your house up in Frederick. Absolutely. And I was, I think, home from college or something, I guess. I don't. Yeah, because it was New Year's. It was, would have been winter break. And you're like, come yeah. over. And I was like, all right, I will drive to Frederick. And I did, and I remember we had a great time. We were very stressed out. You yes. played, you played the fight song after every single touchdown, every single touchdown, every touchdown, and, and field goal, and field goal every time I we scored. I believe score. was your dad there, and we all after every time they scored, we high fived every every person in the room, touched every other person's hand in the room, at least every single time, every single and, time. And you played the fight song. Am I remembering this correctly? You I think were you had like a, dead on. Dead I think on. you had. You had. Uh, I think we got pizza. Maybe Papa John's. Papa, Papa, Papa John's. Papa. Papa John Schnatter. <laughs> That's who he is. It, it, Papa that John. Year, Papa John. Papa John Schneider. But Papa er, John's. Er, Papa. Every Papa. time we won, this was our traditions, and it was working. Yeah, it was working. So you don't. And so we all know that you don't stop a tradition that's working. 
So yeah, we we've been at this a while. A while. We've seen a couple week uh, week seventeen games together. Not this year. <laughs> we were texting the whole time, but uh, this was probably this was my my favorite one. This this I was mean, a good one, and, and having everyone be able to, you know around the house, couch was ready to go, eating pizza. Just it's straight fan time. It's fandom. Um, and we go into this game knowing it's win and it's in. Everyone's ready to stay up late. We got a couple beverages. We're ready to go. Out comes the teams. They are fired up. You, you know, you get that whole thing with the, the flyover, with the, the camera. You get all excited. And, yeah. and I've talked to athletes before, and they get ha- amped up, too. Of course they do. Of course they do. And, and, yeah, you know, I think I think we've, we've set the scene here. Let's talk about the – so the game. Yeah. Jumping so, right in. So I, I got my jersey on. I got my, yeah. my, my, my awesome jersey ready to go. I believe that at that time I was actually wearing my, my Gumby jersey. I think I, you're right. I think I'm right. So going to the first, the first quarter, Yep. both teams come out really, really sour. Yes. That first quarter, I think uh, we had a, a three and out, bad right. punt, good punt return Dallas's end. Romo starts driving the ball. He throws an interception. That's we right. go back three and out again. It's just, it wasn't. Well, good. so no. So what happened was so, oh, yeah. Washington goes three and out. And then the Cowboys go three and an interception by Richard Crawford, who, yep. if you're saying that's who, right. that's fair because he played <laughs> 10 games in the NFL. And this was his only career interception was to start that game. (laughs) So Washington then goes nine plays, 52 yards down the field. And it it becomes very clear, I think, right off the bat, that their strategy is going to be, we are going to pound the rock. Like, we're running the football. We are going to get down and dirty. We're going to set the line of scrimmage, and we're going to run RG3, and we're going to run Alfred Morris, and we're going to run Evan Royster. Remember Evan Royster for a little bit? He was so, the lightning of the thunder and lightning. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't last very long. He was like, <laughs> I, he was fantastic. I remember at uh, Penn State. Oh yeah, I believe is where he went. And flash in the pan didn't didn't really work out for him here in in Washington. But so they they drive the ball down the field, and they set up uh, Kai. It was Kai Forbath, right? It was yeah. Kai Forbath. Yeah, for a. A uh, 37-yard field goal, and he hits it off the upright. Uh, the trait. You heard the bong. Like bong. Yeah. Right off, right off the upright. And he had hit 17 straight going into that field goal attempt and just doinks it. So you're so nothing happens. Cowboys, the next drive, London Fletcher picks up a huge sack on third and 14 and is able to drive him back, but they pick up this – then Romo drops back and hits – Des Bryant on a long pass, and they're moving the ball. They're starting to move the ball, and then another interception. So consecutive interceptions by former Maryland Terrapin Josh Wilson to give the ball back to Washington to, and they end the first quarter. And it's zero zero. And we are. I remember we we're just like, well, okay, it's it's not it's sloppy. Maybe there's nerves. Roma doesn't look good. I guess the defense looks good, but like RG three is not doing anything. Like Forbath left points up on the board. Like you hate that. You hate when your kicker leaves points on the board. You get this feeling like no one wants to win. The first quarter had that feeling. Like you, you, you get some good runs, you get a bad kick, you get all it just but overall, nobody wanted to win. It was sloppy, yeah. it's nasty. But zero zero on a championship game in it to win it, 
you, you want more. So I remember we were on pins and needles going into that second quarter. We're, we're sitting there going, oh, we need some fire. We need yeah, some we fire were, to happen. We were definitely like damaged goods at that point because like, well, at least they're not losing. <laughs> it's like, well. That's true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's so not soccer. Going, you can't walk away with a tie. No, no, no. There's no there's no z- good 0-0. Zero, zero. <laughs> I've tried to explain to people like, Oh, how how'd the game go? As well as a zero zero, but it was good. And it's like what? And I'm like, yeah. How much time do you have? Because I can explain to you why that would be a good thing, but neither here nor there. So they go into quarter number two. Washington ends up having to punt the ball on their opening drive, and Dallas starts from their own eleven yard line. And again, they start moving the football. I remember that was something with this game where the Cowboys they have those good running backs, but like Des Bryant and um, and Jason Witten both had a thousand yard season, so yeah. they were dangerous. You know, it was and, hard and they were, to and they defend. were phenomenal on third down. You go to Witten almost every single time on third down, and Witten would just eat up. If you needed eight yards, he's at eight and a half. If you needed twenty two yards, he's at twenty four. Like Witten was the man for third down, and everybody knew that Roman was going to Witten on third down, but no one could stop him. And you couldn't. They had three. It's just like lethal, legitimate options between Dez and Witten and Miles Austin at that point. That was like peak Miles Austin. Uh, I, I think he may have ended up. You'll have to. I don't know if you'll remember this, but I think he ended up going on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, I don't even know. I think he you, did. But I know the at that I point, know the, the the Giants' old uh, wide receiver did, didn't he? Uh, Victor Cruz. He did. Yeah. I think he won Dancing with the Stars. Well, good for him. Yes. There were two Victor Cruises, if I remember correctly. No, there were two. The two Victor Cruises. I know there were two Steve Smiths. There was a giant Steve Smith, and then the there was Panthers, yeah. Ravens. Anyway, so they're moving the football down the field, and they get to their to Washington's nine yard line, and Witten is on the right side, and Romo. It's like. Give me the ball. Snap the ball. Snap the ball. And the play clock very clearly expires. I mean, it is a full second. Full second. If, if you'd been like one, zero, zero, and ball snap, ball. you're like. It, it Just like abundantly clear. And of course. And it was Romo, third down. And it was on third down. And of course, Romo finds Witten right over the middle and he scores a touchdown. And I just, I remember us being like, what? Like, what? Yeah. And they uh, they cut to f- in the f- in the footage. I'll give them a ton of credit. The broadcast crew, like the camera people, they're just cutting in between the Cowboys <laughs> celebrating and then just fans of cowboy like faces of Cowboys fans, just looking sheepish. Just be like, well, that was clearly a delay game, but like touchdown, like we got even one, one fans like doing the delay game sign, yeah, like he's looking like, at his friend. Like, he's like, I don't know, man. That was delay game. Like, I'll, I don't I'll have a flag to throw. What can I do? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Miles and, Austin briefly dated Kim Kardashian in 2010. Oh, maybe that's why I remember Miles Austin. I don't know if he was he on Dancing with the Stars. We did not say that on Wiki. Okay, fair enough. I, he's he's the type. Of, he's a guy for sure. He's a guy. Yeah, not a dude, a guy. No, he's a guy. Um, yeah. So they they go up, and towards the end of the quarter, they get the ball back. I don't know if you remember this, and they start to drive again. Yeah. And they get kind of on the edge of field goal range, and they decide to punt. And they gave the possession away, and then that they went to the half at that point. And Got so it. it was – I mean, that was an ugly half of football. 
I remember vividly being like, ugh, I mean, it could be worse, but we are, we're not getting it done right now. And everybody feeling a little bit nervous and, you know, their stomachs are turning a little bit. That might have been the Papa John's. Well, so but... at, at half, we're, it, we're, we're 7-7 at half. Yeah. Because I believe uh, Alfred Morris got a 17-yard touchdown run, end of the half. So 7-7. But at 7-7, I'm with you. We were the lesser of two teams at 7 at you know, going to the half. So even though it was a tie game, momentum and luck can only last so long. The momentum was kind of on Dallas's side. Yep. We, the only person that was really doing a lot was Alfred Morris. He had some yeah, good yardage up that hiding touchdown. in there, but we did not look like a, and our defense was fine, but not great. It was, it was bending, but not breaking. Yeah. But you, you had two picks, bend, but not break so long. You had two picks. So you feel good about that. Yeah. But, but, just like... but one of those picks was almost, the, the Dallas was about to score anyway. So we're working, you know, it's, it's again, we're, we're bending, we're bending. The more you bend, the better chance you break. Yeah. So going into the halftime, we're all happy at 7-7. It should have been more yeah. against us, but we're happy at 7-7, but very cautious. So they come out in the second half. And the other thing that I remember vividly th- thinking that now, in retrospect, seems to be perhaps the most important piece of all of this in the retrospect column is the field looks like shit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I was like, the field looks like garbage. Like, they have torn this turf up. This looks like a high school field right now. Oh, it it was coming off in clumps, and it had been something where... For weeks, have been talked about. It had been talked about, and then the following weeks, we know what happens. We'll talk. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. Obviously, Griffin gets hurt the following week. We'll save that for our retrospective. But just like I remember being like, "Man, the field looks like like ass." No, oh, yeah, complete dog ass. And and to make matters worse, it was like I think they returned it. I think they did too. I think they they took so much criticism about how bad the field was at different points in that season that they decided to put entirely new turf down. But of course, it it wasn't enough time for like the turf to settle. I'm not like a like a science like a grass scientist. No, I know you can get your major on, in that. If I throw sod down and then a week later I start running on it in cleats, it's it going to come really off in bad. clumps. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a exactly. I'm not an arborist. I guess that's trees. But I don't know what a lawn person is. But I don't. No, care. there's like a there's a there. You can be like a. It's like a golf science thing, like where yeah. you learn all about funguses and stuff. Bless those people because we do love our golf and we appreciate uh, clean clean greens. But this was not one of them. No, it was, it was really bad. It was bad. And, and so, if anything, it played to our advantage a little bit in this game. It did. It did. I mean, we were uh, we were sort of grinded out on the ground team, and it was sort of that two headed monster with Alfred Morris and RG three. I mean, Garcon had like six hundred and thirty yards in the air that year, and Santana Moss had five hundred and seventy three yards. The other guys on this team who were in the receiving court, the third receiver was Leonard Hankerson. Oh, but he had who, a good catch. He had a real good catch during he did. this game. The other guys they had that year, you mentioned Cooley, Josh mm-hmm. Morgan. Also played wide receiver and Aldrick Robinson, so it was just like, all right, we got two guys, but let's just run the football. And the the notable thing that I think that happened first in that third quarter was Morris broke 
Portis's record pretty early in the quarter on kind of an innocuous. Um, I don't even think it was a first down. Like he ran it up the middle and picked up like five yards and yeah, and they put it up on the big screen. He had uh, eleven hundred and fifty four yards, which was a single season record. And Portis is at the game, and they cut to him on the broadcast. He's like in a booth, like wearing sunglasses at night, and just like he claps, he like waves. He's like, okay, like that's good, you know, that's cool. I got a free ticket to the game. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, he was he was like excited to be there. Um, and so that was nice. And then the, coincidentally, on the exact same play, Corey Lichtenshire got hurt, and so they had to put Josh Laribus in, who yeah. was a rookie at that time. And people were like, okay, maybe Josh Laribus will be good. And I don't think, I mean, none of them. Spoiler alert: none of them were ended up being <laughs> except for Trent Williams who was on that team yeah so I remember that being a nice thing because people were you know people love Clint Portis like people have very he's probably the I mean is he the most popular guy from the last 20 years he yeah might be. Sean Taylor yeah okay I mean in terms of like um okay Sean Taylor obviously you kind of always have to throw Sean Taylor out of those conversations but, but that, you asked the question <laughs> like guys who are guys who are still around like who do people like is it's it Portis is so, it so whose jersey would you buy from the last 20 years you're gonna yeah. pull a Portis out you're gonna pull a Santana Moss out you're gonna pull Moss, uh, Sean yeah. Taylor out um a Ryan Kerrigan you're gonna Kerrigan. pull out yep uh, possibly a London Fletcher Sure. Yeah. But, I mean, but, I don't, I don't, yeah, maybe, but I'm just saying, so you, but I said possibly. So, so that's, you, but you're, you're right. Very slim pickings. But if you go to a game now, you're going to find Clinton, Clinton Portis jerseys on people yep. because people remember him fondly. He yeah. not only was a, a great football player, but he was also, as you said last week, really entertaining to watch. Like he right. Was a fun when guy. I was talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick last week, I was like, we haven't had a fun guy since Clinton Portis. Like we haven't had oh a guy quite this, this fun and out there. And you know, like people are like, Oh, it's a distraction. It's like, well, shut up. Like, what do you <laughs> shut up? I, I watch football to be distracted. That's why I don't, I don't watch this cause I'm, you know, doing my taxes. I want to be distracted from real life and enjoy this. I got to do my taxes. I haven't done that yet. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> So it was kind of people I do remember being like, okay, like we love Clinton Portis, but if this this young whippersnapper who we found in the sixth round is going to be our running back of the future, then bless up. We're all here for Alvin Morris. And I mean, it clearly it didn't quite work out. He's still in the league. Yeah, he's still and... been playing. But he also was the one of the first football players because FAU didn't have a football uh, team for a very long time. Mm-hmm. He was the first FAU football player to come out in the draft. So for FAU, it was a huge deal. We got this six-round draft pick. No one thought it was anything. And he ended up being, that season, a true dude yeah. by breaking the single-season record. He did. It was awesome. So they, they pound the ball with Morris in the third. And... It results, uh, RG3 picks up a rushing touchdown, caps off a nine-play, 82-yard drive to give Washington the lead for the first time in that game. They rode Morris, they rode Griffin down the field, gives Washington the 14-7 lead to go into the fourth quarter with the lead. And there's that feeling, you know it. There's that feeling, you know, going into the fourth quarter of a game it's always just like, ooh, all right, like buckle up. And then when you go into the fourth quarter of a game with a lead, you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to barf. It had been 12, 13 years since Washington had won the NFC East. 
we have watched so many teams get on that field and buckle at the very last minute. Yeah. Or just absolutely or just take a crap on the field. Suck. Yeah. We've had our, our hearts broken. Our our mental anguish has been at a high for thirteen years. So going into the fourth quarter, there's minimal optimism, but just a desire to win. It, it, yeah. It's just like we're prepared for the worst. Grab my beer because it's about to happen. Here we go. Yeah, it's like well, we have it. Like if it were over now, we'd have it. They have to play another quarter of football and just like hope it just like you win one quarter. I know it sort of sounds like coach talk. Like all yeah. you got to do is go out there and win one quarter, but like it's true in this case. And I just remember you know, there was there was some nervous uh there was a nervous air in the Cumberland household at the time. And so they go in they go into the fourth quarter and the Cowboys drive into Washington territory but have to settle for a field goal with like they get get a field goal like a minute in yeah. to cut it to a four point game at fourteen ten. And then Washington gets the football back. RG three gets down into Cowboys territory, down to the thirty three, and they're moving. They're moving. Griffin pitches it. Sort of one of those shot. He's in the shotgun, but he pitches yeah. the football to Morris, who gets a hole and basically walks in untouched down the uh, middle, completely of untouched. And he had a burst of speed at the line, but he just cruised after that. The it was O-line, a beautiful play. Just there was the O line blew up the D line, but there was just nothing in the middle. And Morris no. was, you know, he's a quick guy, but he's he's a bruiser, right? So he's like a gets better the after first contact like that was his thing like he'd take contact and then he his yards after contact were crazy good and so for him to just like be able to cruise in from you know 30 yards out was awesome so then Washington decides to um so so Washington then goes you know they're up and you know Morris is out there doing the home run swing yeah fantastic celebration Boop. Cowboys get the ball back under 10 to go, and there's a huge sack of Romo back near midfield. I think it might have been Fletcher. It was either Fletcher or Perry Riley. I can't now. I think it was Riley on this one. Yeah, I think it was Riley. And then Des Bryant gets hurt and has to get helped off the field, and they turn it over. Des Bryant did enter the game already with a broken finger. That's right. He had the broken finger. He had the broken finger, but he. I think it was a leg injury that he had helped off because both linemen helped him off the field. So that's right. It was not a finger or hand injury. It was a lower, like as hockey terms go, it was a lower extremity injury. So Washington um, ends up having, they get the ball back. They can't do anything with it. They had to punt and they kick it to, I think his name was Harris. (laughs) I just watched this thing. He was their kick returner (laughs) and he breaks one. And yeah. Sav Raka is the last one back. And basically, he both face masks him and horse collar <laughs> tackles him at the same, same time. time. Like, brings him down by both the face and the neck. Just, he was the <laughs> last guy. He was going to score a touchdown. And so, Sav Raka was just trying to grab anything to stop him. He yeah, did not he, care how or why. Yeah, he was looking for whatever was protruding the most. And it was the gap between his neck and his pads and just, like, all of his face mask. So, that, you know, that sets him up in really great field position. And they score 
I think it was Ogletree scored on the left side of the end zone. They end up having to go for two. Harris, who had the fantastic punt return, picks up the two-point conversion to make it a three-point game. Yep. 21 to 18 with like six minutes left to go. And at this point, I was I was shitting bricks to use oh, a, a colloquialism. Because you could see that the, the, the it's always about the momentum. And momentum at that point had changed. Yes. You once Harris had that punt return, even though he got face masked, you could see the excitement and then the drive starts happening. That touchdown happens, all momentum's a Dallas side. And it's, yeah. again, you're a fan. You're like, oh, oh shit! You know, grab some beer. You're on the edge of your seat. You're you're watching the clock. As an athlete, they teach you never, ever, ever to watch the clock. Right. However, as a fan, I'm staring at it, man. It's right there on the screen. Yeah, we were watching the clock plenty enough for all the players out there. I mean, I you know I'm I know that there's a rash of professional athletes who are doing podcasts now that we have to compete against, but lest anyone be confused. This is not a, one of those podcasts. We are not professional athletes. I can't imagine not looking at the clock. Like, how do you not look at the clock? You These guys no. are out there looking at the clock. I'm sure the coach is like, don't look at the clock, but they're out there looking at the clock. No, you, you don't. No. You, so uh, even though I didn't play professional, I, I have had many, many a time as an athlete. And what they would do for us, which was great, this was in high school and college, was turn whatever the the scoreboard was at home they had our backs to it. Mm-hmm. So you can't look at the clock. <clears throat> I thought it was a great thing, so I never got into that that mindset. And, of course, you know, when the fourth quarter starts, two-minute warning, the coaches will let you know, you know, we have X amount of time. We have to do high school is a four-minute, but four-minute drill. So you have, a, you have awareness of it, but you're not watching the clock because – you want to hit somebody. You want to catch somebody. You want to do this. You start if you start if you're winning and you look at the clock. What happens is you get distracted from what you have to do. Yeah, of course. And all we can do is sit there and just sweat it out. Look at the clock. So, and the thing is, Washington now has a three point lead and they're getting the ball. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, well, all they got to do is just eat this clock. Like they're getting the ball. The like all all Morris they have been to running do, all afternoon. We'll keep Morris going. They have to just like. On offense, play defense, basically, at this point. So Prevent offense. Pre- pretty much. They yeah. have to run the clock, and they have to keep the ball in bounds, and they have to move the chains. It's, I mean, that's really all you have to do ever in a football game, unless like you have to get out of bounds and move the chains. But So they, the Cowboys go to kickoff, and who returns it in the end zone but Niles Paul? I forgot we had a tight end back there returning kicks. And so he catches the ball three yards deep in the end zone and takes it out and breaks one. He he yeah. gets a nice return sort of towards midfield. I think it was north of the 30-35. But I'm like, oh, my God, our tight end? What's a, what? I mean, we that was – we had some return issues back then. I like Santana Moss, like, was – not so reliable returning kicks all the time. He was explosive sometimes, but sometimes he would just do like really stupid stuff. I just remember him just like running backwards, basically just like S like running in serpentine pattern backwards towards his own end zone, like being like, all right, well, I hope he gets a block. Cause if not, he just ran 20 yards backwards and then he'd just get tackled. And it's like, well, he can do it. But I mean, I, so I guess, you know, we have, 
Well, we no. couldn't find somebody who could catch the ball for a while. That was a bigger issue. So sure. Sandoval could catch the ball, but he didn't want to do it. No. Because uh, he's you know a good wide receiver, but we couldn't find anyone who would catch the ball. We went through a couple different uh, returners, and Niles Paul ended up being someone who like, was just good fast hands. enough. And yeah, he was a hands team guy. He caught the ball, and he knew when not to run out, when to run out. Like he got it. So here you go. So there are two plays that happen then subsequently that when we talk about in retrospect, like in the time at the time they were like, Ugh. but in retrospect, you're like, Oh, so first RG three. You know, he was, he was moving his, he, he ran the football a good amount in this game. That was just their kind of what their offense was. I think now at, in retrospect, time, absolutely. people, many people believe to his detriment, he runs the ball, takes it over the middle, running for a first down, gets the first down, and slides one of those ugly-ass Robert Griffin slides. He could... Worst that was slider in the NFL I have ever seen. The Nats even sent people from the Nationals to try to teach him how to slide, and he still didn't get it. And it was a problem. Because his foot would get caught in the turf. So he went to the slide, and it was always super awkward. He left himself exposed every single time. It was, so, yes. it was really bad. And so that slide, I remember I see you know, at the time I was like, oh, I hope he's okay. But like it ended up being kind of like part of the reason it, it, it didn't work out with him because he just like couldn't take a hit and he couldn't slide. Yeah. So he picks up the first down and then an- there's another play that then stands out as kind of like. If this had been a movie, this would have been the foreshadowing play where he, he Anthony Spencer blows him up. He gets hit Bad. hard. And he is just like, he's like wobbling around back there in midfield. And like he's not, he's he's trying to scramble the pocket, scramble out of the pocket. And he, he's like, his lower body's just like, like jello. Because the field looks like the field is garbage. He's like at the logo at this point at midfield, and he gets blown up, and he just is down, and he's like face planted. He was he was down for a minute, and they were like, "Uh oh, like hope he's okay." What's gonna happen with this guy? Yeah. So it 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 doesn't like they end up having a punt on that drive, and. Washington punts and pins cow- the Cowboys deep. They're they're at their own twelve yard line with three minutes left to go in this game. They have the ball. All they have to do is kick a field goal to tie. So they start moving, and Romo drops back and just like does a classic Romo play and just like doesn't anticipate. Has Demarco Murray going out for a screen. Rob freaking Jackson. <laughs> makes a tiny little like he he's he fakes like he's gonna go like he's gonna g- try to rush the quarterback and then drops back into coverage and Romo just lofts it up and Rob Jackson comes down with the football and he, he goes up it. no Rob Jackson to his credit he goes at the apex man he makes a good play he goes up to get the ball grabs that ball high so there's no chance for the running back to get involved and just goes to the ground He's not returning this. No. This is done for him. He has done his job. Give me the ball. On the ground, play over, interception. 
incredible. And just like people, just like Rob Jackson, who's like, uh, I don't know, the third or fourth best linebacker on this team. I guess he was a D end at that point. And, you know, he was, I think this was like, he was 27. He had been on a team for five years, but kind of in my mind, not ever really made a huge splash. He started that year. And, I mean, he, he ended up with 48 solo tackles over five seasons. But for him to make that play, it was just like a dam. Like the uh, there was an, a wave of emotion, like a dam had been broken. It was like, oh, my God, yeah. they're going to do it. The curse has been broken for the Washington team. We may actually win this game. And then Washington drives down the field. Alfred Morris scores again and that's it ball game and they win nail in the coffin and we celebrated like no one's business that day full stadium peak sort of like excitement and optimism we celebrate we hugging high-fiving just like going ballistic couldn't i just i couldn't believe it had happened i couldn't believe it because i had never seen it and I know that it, for it, a lot it, of people, thirteen years since the last time it happened, and a lot of people who, yeah, I mean, you know, there were there are people who still remember the the heyday. I wasn't one of them, and so for that to happen, it was just like, oh my god, they they they, you know, it's not over, but they did it. I can't believe they did, they did it. So. I, I just I have very fond memories of that game and that feeling. That is that's like truly truly the high chase as part of this fandom. That's the thing I I want to get back to that and then some because it's never for me as a Washington football team fan. It's never been it as as good as it felt right then. Feeling like they were doing it and they had the chance to do it over and over and over again. Yeah. Like, they, like we weren't going to win this. We may not win the Super Bowl this year. Like we we thought we could, but we may not win it this year. But next year, it's like oh yeah, we've got we've got to get one, right? <laughs> we, we're in. We we have this opportunity to have a dynasty of winning NFC East championships. We're here. We have a Hall of Fame coach. We have this rookie who's phenomenal. We have this six round draft pick who just can't be un, who can't be touched. No. Uh, great lineman in Trent Williams. We have a good defense that's killing it right now. With, led by D. Hall and London Fletcher, we, Garcon we picked up from Indy. Like we have this team. That's right. And you know now you think uh, to not to put too fine a point on it, but you have this team that just like never. It all went downhill from there. In like incredible and dramatic fashion like total face plant as hard as oh, one yeah. possibly could and just it felt like it felt like a rug was pulled out from under your feet while you were getting punched in the gut at the it same was like time a, 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 a engine fire on an airplane and you're like you're putting it out and the other engine catches on fire and you start to plummet and it just happens that fast and that off season was horrible well and the fact is when you really think about it there was one week when you had the feeling, because the very next week, as foreshadowed by this game, was the was the week that Robert Griffin got hurt ir- irreparably and never came back. It and it never 
it just like it fell apart spec so spectacularly just like the relationship with the Shanahan's and RG3 I guess kind of making a bit of a heel turn in a lot of people's eyes well that's I think a conversation for another day maybe yeah. if we ever want to talk about RG3 again but they um you felt really good for one week and you just for me now looking back at this game I mean the the sentiment I have on all of it is is just like man really what could have been what could have been and it's hard yeah it's hard to think about because it's painful it sucks it really sucks um but it's it it's it's nice to know as or it's nice to think about as cynical as I think we can be as fans can be you know we've since that point we've experienced two championships with the Capitals and the Nationals three if you count the <laughs> Mystics which I do the Washington Mystics WNBA champions the district champions but you know it's like could Washington could the could the Washington football team be back in that club I mean, right now it feels pretty far away, but just then it felt so close. It felt so like you, close. it felt like you can touch it. And the fact is, there are so many other teams who have felt that way and not gotten over the hump. You know, like the early nineties, like the Buffalo Bills, right? They go to three Super Bowls in a row and lose they them. Never all. win a single one. You think about over the course of like the two thousands. And early 2010s, like the Minnesota Vikings, or starting in the late 90s, even really, you know, like Randy Moss and Dante Culpepper and Randall Cunningham, and was he on the Vikings? Yeah, uh, Cunningham was on the Vikings for a small period of time. But you're also thinking like, like, but so l- l- let me go. I'm going to name some names, and I-, I want you to hear this. This is from the 2012 coaching staff. Yep. This is this is what we could have had. Yeah. Well, yeah. Your your head coach was Mike Shanahan, Hall of Famer. Yeah, it, his, it didn't. It wasn't the right fit. But. I'm just saying he's a Hall of Famer. Sure. He's a Hall of Fame coach. Let's just—he is what it is. Whether it was with us or not, it was a Hall of Fame coach. Yeah. Uh, his offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan, current head coach of the 49ers. That's right. Quarterbacks coach was Matthew Lafleur, who is the current head coach of the Green Bay Packers. <sighs> yeah. Tight end uh, was Sean McVay, current head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. Then you have a couple assistants that are here and there. Most of them are still in the league. Um, but you're looking at one, two, three, four. And then, of course, if you look back at it, Danny Smith is also one of the best yep. special teams coordinators ever. So that's four or five possible Hall of Fame coaches that were on that roster that disappeared, but that could have been the next for the Washington football team. Yep, and it just kind of didn't, you know, it didn't pan out, and I don't know. I It's funny, you know, we started this conversation. It still was truly a high point. I mean, we, oh, yeah. we did go back, and we felt both compelled to watch it and have thoughts on it, so clearly it stood out. Y- you take memories like that. It is what fandom is, remembering this type of stuff, and sort of looking at it through a different lens over time and 
just saying, well, you know, like it was fun at the moment, but like what could have been and celebrating the wins and commiserating the losses. And I don't know that that's kind of where that week going from December 2012 into January 2013 was a great week. It really was. It was a, I enjoyed that high. I enjoyed those moments. I did too. Um, should we take a quick break? Sure. Okay, we'll take that break. So, I got something really weird tonight. It's called Delight Valley Farms Fireside, which is a blueberry wine with great neutral spirits. It looks. Give me a give me a taste test on that. I'm. I, that's my way of asking, what you sipping on? What you sipping on? Oh, you gotta ask me that though. Yeah, what are you sipping on? Ask it right. Don't be don't be weird. Hey Gumby, what you sipping on? Hey Gumby. What you sipping on? Hey Brian, thanks for asking. Actually, I have a friend of mine sent me over Scott sent me over this kind of weird but awesome thing called Delight Valley Farms Fireside. Never heard of it before. Uh, it's a blackberry wine with grape neutral spirits. And talking about the 2012 championship makes me drink. So this is putting me right in the spot I need to get to. As far as the way it tastes, it just has this kind of like blackberry fruit taste in the whole thing. It tastes more like a light bourbon that does a wine. Mm. So I really do enjoy it. But it only has 20% uh, alcohol by volume. So it's actually kind of nice that way. Enjoy it. I'd say if you're looking for just a, a, a lighter version of bourbon this one would be good to try it's actually really really nice and with it you get a little bit of ice uh throw a couple cherries in there Mm. and it comes out and you have like a whole cocktail scenario going on so it's great during the holidays yeah and and my holidays uh saint patrick's day so it makes me very happy Mm -hmm. but brian you seem to uh enjoyed your beverage i did what what you sipping on well, I made it through the entire thing while we talked about the 2012 Week 17 division clinching. <laughs> I just, I was thirsty, and the Sapwood Cellars hydrated me. Um, this is a beer. It's their IPA Double Dry Hop with Citra. I've had my eye on their brewery for some time. They're up in kind of near Meriwether Post. Where is that? Okay, yeah, up in Columbia, Maryland. Columbia, yep. Actually, it should say on this can where they're from, right? Columbia, Columbia, Maryland. Exactly. Um, They make some really fantastic stuff. I've been kind of enamored by them, but not been able to like make my way up to Columbia these days. We found them on YouTube. They have a very good YouTube channel. Very good brewing content on their channel. Highly recommend checking out the brewing YouTube channel for Sapwood Cellars. And this was really good. It was very drinkable. Kind of hazy. But not too fluffy. Um, didn't cut too hard. It was sort of like a light fruit flavor, like sort of aromatic vanilla. Um, really bright. Very much enjoyed it. Highly recommend. Get yourself some. More some. of a spring or summer type beer? Really, this is an, you could have this all year round. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I'm interested now. Yeah. Um, so with, with that in mind, I feel like we started off this this episode – by saying that there is just like not a ton going on around the league. I mean, at least in terms of things that we are so focused on. But there was one uh, one 
fairly monumental thing that happened that's going to impact the NFL and all NFL fans going forward. And that's the decision that seemed, it was seemingly inevitable. I mean, it was going to happen, but the league finally decided to add a 17th game to the regular season, uh, thus ending the 16-game regular season era. Um, we haven't talked about this, you and I. No, we have not. Peek behind the curtain. What, what are your thoughts? I, I'm with the players on this one. I think that this is absolutely a big pile. The, the only reason they're going to add an extra game is money. Uh, when they yeah. do, they just finished doing the the TV rights and they're handing out to it was hundreds of billions. Of, I mean, it was like hundreds of billion dollars or something obscene. So the NFL, the NFL themselves are getting paid an obscene amount of money for this through through Amazon, through NBC, through Fox, through CBS. Um, it's it's obscene. They don't care about the players. That has been kind of shown over and over and over again. They're adding another game just for money. Uh, I just I just saw what the schedule was. And it's going to be an NFC, AFC versus schedule. I think we're playing uh, Buffalo. There's are nothing games. That's that's my point, is that you're adding an extra, whole extra week with a nothing game. It's not going to change the playoffs. It actually hurts you in the playoffs by a random loss. And it makes no sense to me. They still haven't figured out how the, if the players are getting paid extra because of it. They dropped a salary cap. Yeah. But they dropped the salary cap. Right before they pay, they, they got paid a hundred billion dollars for their TV rights. So it's the owners are just it's a cash grab, and I hate it. I think it's another game that which uh, you're going to get players hurt. I think it's another game that players are going to be injured. It's not worth it. Overall, as a fan, I think it dilutes the NFL a little bit uh, more than they already have diluted themselves. And I'm very sad to see that it happened. Uh, there's no more 500 teams. That part doesn't matter. It's a math equation, but I'm not. I'm not a fan of it. It's another chance for people to get injured for no reason whatsoever. It's funny, and we. It's funny because uh, that has been, I think, uh, an opinion that I've seen a lot of, and generally, it's one that I hold, which is interesting to me because we are fans of football, right? And so one would think that more football is a good thing. But in addition to the player aspect, which I would say is from like a human perspective and from like an actual labor perspective, an important topic to to discuss, um, you know, the cap going down and having to play an extra game. They move one preseason, they, so they cut the preseason one game shorter and they add another week to the regular season. You know, that, that I think is actually important in, from, like, an actual human element. But the thing that... The couple of things that, that bother me about this. The first being the NFL, to me, you're right, it does start to feel a little oversaturated and, like, overexposed. I, I'm I'm not a fan of Thursday night football. I oh, think I it's, hate it. It's too many days a week. It's too many. It makes fantasy football hard. It just the it's hard. You know, it's it's routinely challenging to find the Thursday night game. The game starts late. You don't want to have to stay up late. On a I don't know. Maybe I'm just coming. Maybe I'm just like a, a crumbling. No, no, you're right. Like, I, I miss the days where it was. You get up on a Sunday, 
you have on the East Coast a 1 o'clock game, all the 1 o'clock games, the 4 o'clock games, boom, boom. Then sometimes you had an evening game. So you have Sunday full of football. You know for 16 weeks you're going to get football. You can watch Red Zone, boom, boom, boom. You can watch NFL Channel, whatever you want to do. You get this amount of football, but by about 10 o'clock it's over. Then you get one prime time insane game on Monday night. And, and usually it was, it was one of the most high-rated games. And that was it. That was it. And But it allowed me to spend all day Sunday. You called Sunday out. Now I got Sunday. I got starting at 1, or unless it's a, a London game. That right. I got, it's starting at like you know 8 o'clock in the morning, and it's forced. And now I'm sitting here all day, and then they – Flex two games to nighttime. Then you get a Monday night game where they do the, the, the bullshit two Monday night games, one at five and then one at eight. And I'm like, I, I don't want all that. I'm, I'm at work at five. Like, are you kidding me? I, then you're going to throw yeah. me a Thursday night game. And then sometimes they do a Saturday game, yeah. like later in the season. There's seven days in a week, and I was giving you one and a half just to enjoy football. I can't give you five. It makes it, I got work. I got family. It makes it harder to be a fan. I think the it way makes it very hard. the way it's it's like kind of distended makes it harder to really pay full attention. And the fact is, they're never going to stop doing it because people watch. Like they get good review, they get good you know ratings or whatever. Like the advertisers pay them lots of money. But I don't think even with the expanded ability to consume the sport. Now, when you think about like social media and you think about the high quality streaming, you think about gifts and you think about YouTube and there are more ways to watch and consume the, the sport now than there have ever been. But I don't know, it just it feels increasingly unmanageable to me and just like harder and harder and like each game starts statistically starts to matter less. And the other part of it that maybe is a little bit silly, but for me it just doesn't quite sit right, is prior to this, when they were playing a 16-week regular season, there was an element of uh, symmetry to all of it, where you're playing in two conferences with four divisions, with four teams each, all of whom are playing 16 games for a total of 32 teams. You can go 8-8. Eight and eight. Like, there was just kind of like a harmony and a balance that just had a nice aesthetic. And now, you know, we're, we're losing that, and we're never going to get it back. No. And, you know, presume... That's the thing. Like people get people adapt, people get used to things, and maybe I will get used to it eventually. I know they went from a fourteen game season to a sixteen game season. They went from a thirty team league. I mean, at one point you had thirty two team. Like people get used to it. I'm sure there are people like, oh, thirty two teams. That's like totally insane. You know, like how what are we gonna do? Thirty teams was like a perfect number, but this just starts to feel like. I don't know. Very not uh, feng shui. The word, yeah, the, the the word forced is correct. This was this is a one game extra money grab. They were getting sick of the the preseason. They weren't getting the money they want from the preseason. 
So F it. Let's turn around and make it a game worth something. And I hate that. Um, if they got rid of a preseason game because there's usually four, I'm okay with that. But seriously, I mean, remember back in the day, like instead of preseason games, it was just two teams would meet at, on the training camp and have a game there. And that's, that's the way it used to be until it became a moneymaker. The, the, the owners are getting greedy. Yeah, it's been they like that since like the 30s, though. <laughs> But no, but I remember like uh, Carlisle when they were in Carlisle. Oh, the sure. Steelers would come down. Yep, like, sure. there's a lot of stuff that happens. But I'm sitting there watching this. Like, the, the 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 owners are getting greedy. They don't care about the players. We know that. So what's going to happen is you're going to get more players revolting. More players are going to push for guaranteed contracts. More players are going to push for better contracts. And you're going to have a big issue coming up in the next couple of years. And it makes sense. If I was a player, I'd be pissed too. You know, F you, if I'm playing 17 games, you're getting rid of a preseason game, and I want guaranteed money. I want to be able to say I can be healthy. I want to make sure that, that I'm getting paid the amount that I'm deserved. Yeah, and, and I, it started, I think, last year when they added the extra team to the playoff. It, it, like, it, yeah. it was obviously they were the league has made no secret of the fact that they wanted to expand the regular season. The league has made no secret of the fact that they want to put a team in London. I mean, and we'll cross that bridge. If I want to say if we get there, but it feels like the league is not going to settle for not having a team in London eventually. And we don't have to talk about that because it's like totally ridiculous not, and ludicrous. Not today, but it's coming up. But there's just sort of an element of, for me, just kind of like, well, it is what it is. Like, it's over. Like, that was an era. The... Cleveland Browns and Detroit Lions, the only teams to ever go fully defeated in the 16-game era. The only team to ever finish the season 0-16, and, and they will forever. Um, I think it's going to make it harder for a team to run the table start to finish and like unseat the 72 Dolphins. Who I, th- I know people think they're charming. I think they're really annoying. I think Mercury Morris can just like just go fuck off. Pardon my French. Hey, th- these are old guys who don't care anymore. Let them smoke cigars and drink their drinks and be happy. Oh, yeah, I, I suppose. Care. Maybe I'm just being a curmudgeon. But I was happy when the, the, the Patriots got killed by the Giants in that game. But but again, like you look at this and you go the 17 games. Yeah. Um, That's a lot. They, they are. You're, they're saturating it. They're making it hard. Uh, do you remember? I remember back in the day, and I'm old. I'm going to throw that out there. You would watch Fox. NBC or CBS. Those are the three that had football. Right. Now, if you want to watch a certain game, you have Fox, NBC, you have the football channel, you have CBS, you have Amazon. Uh, wait for wait for a pay-per-view to pop up. Like It's going to be obscene. And it's all money. And these players aren't getting a lot of money. Now, do they get paid a lot for their game? Absolutely. But if you really think about it, on a 53-man roster, you have five guys really getting paid, and you have... 48 who aren't. Yeah, we don't We don't really need to. Care. I mean, we will at some point. Like, give me an opportunity. I will go off on the economics of the game because I have strong yeah. feelings about it. Yeah. Uh, you get paid a lot of money, so you should be able to, like, you should do what we want you to do. Does not, is not an argument that works for me. Uh, and no. again, especially when you have a $100 million TV deal sitting in your pocket. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's a billion dollar. Look. Will I will learn to understand how good actually is a seven and ten football team 
Like, are they good? Like, should they? How close were they to being a playoff team? Like, how good actually is a a, a nine and eight team? Because when you nine and seven, you're like, okay, yeah, like they were pretty good. Yeah, last year. yeah. Like, what does a nine and eight team mean? Like, what? I mean, we'll get used to it. I think we'll adapt. Well, well but I, I'm not gonna like it, but I'll get used to it. But and then later we'll go off on the fact that I still can't buy anything Washington football team right now because their logo is horrible. Well, we're on this journey together, and I see <laughs> that uh, that you've been been tweeting about it. I appreciate you, Gumby, for uh, for tweeting about it. Uh, any any final thoughts before we sign off here? I know I, I, I appreciate the uh, trip down memory lane. Yeah, I appreciate the trip down uh, memory and, lane. Uh, I'm excited a couple more trips down memory lane during this off season. Yes. As we head into the uh, the training camp coming in in summer. We we win off the field. We are the off-season champions here on the Cult of Cult. The Cult of Cult podcast is produced and edited by me, Brian Stabby, and my co-host and director of social media is Gumby. You can follow the Cult of Cult on Twitter at the Cult of Cult. That's all one word. We're also available on Untapped. I'm at BStabby, and you're at DCumberland Jr. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify by searching Hogshaven, a Washington football team podcast. And we ask that if you like what you've heard, that you do three simple things, that you subscribe, you rate us five stars, and encourage just one friend, maybe more if you want, but at least one friend, to check us out. It makes a huge impact in our ability to reach new listeners. We know your listening time is valuable. We appreciate you spending it with us. Gumby, thank you for spending it with me here on The Cult of Cult.